Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. This morning, I want to get straight to it. I'm going to speak about sowing to the Spirit. Sowing to the Spirit. Now, some people think that because we are under God's grace, um, our behavior doesn't matter too much to God anymore because we're under grace. Um, grace would cover uh, all our sins. And that's right. That is right. Uh, we, some people believe, because we are the people of God now, um, God doesn't pay too much attention if we slip morally or if we do not live as upright as we should do. The Apostle Paul had a similar confrontation with some believers. Some believers were saying, now that we are no longer under law, but under grace, we can kind of do whatever we like. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, twice he says this, shall we go on sinning because we can then make grace increase? By no means. Absolutely not. That's his response. Absolutely not. Or another version would say, by no means. He repeats this twice in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 15. Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Certainly not. There was an old prophet 700 years before Jesus Christ uh, who had to undergo a tremendous, terrible personal experience. His name was Hosea. Hosea was instructed by God to marry a prostitute called Goma. And knowing full well that Goma would be back and forth, back to him and back out to the world uh, with her, her lovers, so to speak. She was a serial adulteress. And God says, go marry her. Surely, Hosea would have remonstrated with God. Are you sure, Lord? Go marry her. I am doing this to you, Hosea, God says, to make you an illustration. Because I married Israel to myself, and Israel had behaved like a wanderer, a prostitute, going back and forth toward me and back to the world, worshipping idols and so on. Well, uh, Israel had been saying, doesn't matter. We are God's people now. We belong to God. It doesn't really matter if we are a little bit lax in our moral living. It doesn't really matter too much. Grace and love of God is more than enough. And that's true. The grace of God, the love of God is more than enough. But how we live is important to God. 
now that we are his people. It is of, primary, of, of paramount importance. I'll read to us a couple of verses in Hosea, but before we do so, let me tell you what I'll be speaking on today. Firstly, I'll be talking about the consequences of sowing to the flesh. Because we're talking about sowing to the spirit. Firstly, the consequences of sowing to the flesh. Then I'll be talking about how do we sow to the spirit. Hosea chapter 10, starting from verse 1. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more fruit, the more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. Israel had been chasing after the world. Idolatry. As his country improved, he improved his pillars, more altars, to the worship of idols. Verse 2, their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Going down to verse 12, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love. Break up your fellow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. God says, my people, you claim yourselves to be the people of God, and living right doesn't concern me much, God says. Well, it does concern me. Now, we think, oh, that is Old Testament stuff. Well, let me read a New Testament parallel to us. It's in Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. All of us, no questions, all of us are sowing. You're either sowing good seed or bad seed. You're either sowing to the flesh or to the Spirit. You're either sowing according to what the Spirit wants and what the Spirit loves, or you're sowing to your sin, your, your sinful self. The thing that determines what happens in this life and in the life to come depends on what type of sowing we engage ourselves in. If we sow unforgiveness and revenge and, and, and gossip and backbiting and the cold treatment, I refuse to talk. Then there are consequences. Some, they're sowing filth into their minds by what they watch by what they read. There are consequences. Some of us are saying to the Lord, Lord, I do not want you to get in the way of my Christianity. Have you, have you, have you experienced that? Lord, I'm happy going to church, but don't stand in the way of my Christianity, please. That's sowing to the flesh. What are the consequences 
of sowing to the flesh. Well, Hosea chapter 10, verse 2. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. Well, there are consequences. There is guilt that accompanies the sowing to the flesh. So the first consequence of sowing to the flesh is this. It yields a terrible harvest of corruption. It surely does. Now, we, we know it mentally, but we, sometimes we fail to believe so. Well, the New Testament makes it really clear. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he'll reap. If you sow bad seed, you reap bad harvest. There's no ifs and buts. God will not say, there is a spiritual law that God had built into his creation. And that spiritual law is, whatever you sow, it'll multiply and you'll reap. The life contained in that seed will prosper and come out and in, in abundance and you'll reap. Now, God wouldn't say, it's okay. We're under grace now. You've disobeyed me big time. But I'll suspend the law of sowing and reaping for you because you belong to me. God's not going to say that. God is not going to say, I know you, so you won't reap that bad harvest anymore. Sowing to the flesh always yields a terrible harvest of corruption, degradation, and misery. Always. Disobedience always destroys, depresses, and always brings enslavement and even exposes you to demonic influence. That's the thing about sowing to the flesh. Look at some tragic consequences that happened to King Saul, the first king of Israel. He stood head, head and shoulders above the rest, handsome-looking young man. But something crept into his life that caused him to sow to the flesh. The women started singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And that somehow got into Saul's mind and heart. And there was jealousy and envy, revenge and anger. And for months, it brewed, percolated inside him. And you know what? He paid dearly for that sowing in the flesh. Because the harvest was tragic. He lost his kingship. Most of his family died. His legacy was gone. He lost his life. He was hung to die. Then his successor, look at David, King David. He was supposed to be out fighting the Lord's battles. One day, he looked over through the lattice and he saw a woman taking a shower. He said, she looks good. <laughs> I'm going to have her. Gets her over, sleeps with her. And the Lord, through the, through the prophet Nathan, said, because you have done this, consequences will follow. But because you've been contrite, I'll, I'll, I'll dampen the consequences. I'll forgive you. 
God's forgiveness, grace. We know that. God's love, we know that. But there will be consequences. The baby that Bathsheba is carrying, he'll die. David fasted, refused to eat, refused to come out. After several days, the baby died. Ah, oh, that's not the end of it. That's not the end. Look at Samuel chapter, Second uh, Samuel chapter twelve. Just a couple of verses there. Second Samuel chapter twelve, verses ten and eleven. Just, just read this. This is Nathan speaking. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I'll take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son in broad daylight. Well, the sword never departed from David's household. Well, you know, there was big upheavals. Absalom, his son, rebelled against him. David had to flee, fleeing and crying and weeping. You remember, barefoot. And then Absalom took his father's wives and concubines and pitched a tent up in the upper room somewhere and slept with them in public. That's in fulfillment of the consequence here given in this prophecy. David had another son called Amnon. Now, Amnon fell in love with his half-sister Tamar. She was sweet looking and he just wanted her. Couldn't wait. And and he ravished her. He raped her. There was major upheavals in his household. Absalom, who is the full brother of Tamar, and therefore the half-brother of Amnon. I know it's hard to follow, but just listen. <laughs> Absalom contrived to kill his half-brother, Amnon. And so Amnon died. There was death in the family. There was upheavals. There was violence. The sword will never depart from your household. Then it was time for Absalom's death. David commanded his soldiers, do not touch that young man. Don't, don't hurt him. But they couldn't help themselves, could they? They plunged some daggers, some darts into his heart and he died. The sword shall never depart from your house. Tragic consequences follow the sowing to the flesh. One sowing of disobedience, one sowing to the flesh, triggered a chain reaction of tragic consequences. That's what happened. Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. Uh, Hosea tells us, it's not on the screen, but listen. You sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. You sow something small, you read a cyclone. That's what, it's, that's what it means. Consequences are tragic. Second consequence of sowing to the flesh is this. It leads to deception. Hosea chapter 10 verse 2. Their heart is false. See, 
they've prospered. We are the people of God. Israel was a luxur luxuriant vine. We've prospered. Our country has improved. We've, we've grown rich. We started worshipping idols, sowing to the flesh. We started doing that more and more. In verse 2, Hosea 10, the Bible says, their heart is false. You know, that word false, it means slippery and flattering and deceptive. There's another Bible verse, there are a few, but there's just one in Proverbs uh, that uses the same word, false, falsehood on the lips or in the heart. And it's this, Proverbs 5, verse 3. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey. Men, listen to this. The lips of an adulterous woman drips honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. Her speech, her speech is smoother, is false. That's that same word. Her speech is false. In other words, she says, I love you, but her heart is far away. Her mouth drips oil and honey. And that's what Israel was doing. Lord, we love you. We love you. Cover up our idols. Lord, we love you. Their heart is false. Their tongue is smoother than honey and oil. That's what God is saying. The practice of sowing to the flesh, serving idols, prospering, and giving their time to idols, caused them to engage in falsehood, deception. More worshipping of idols, more sowing to the flesh, more deception. That's the cycle. Look at, look, at, look at Solomon. Solomon was a great king, the son of David. And when he attained, um, when he became king, the Lord appeared to him. In fact, the Lord appeared to this king and only this king twice. The first time the Lord appeared to him, what do you want from me? God said, what would you ask me to do for you? And Solomon said, well, Lord, you have a great nation. It's so hard to rule them. I'm not asking for honor nor riches, but I want wisdom. Lord, please grant me wisdom to rule your great people. And the Lord said, because you have not asked for wealth and honor and riches, but you've asked for wisdom, I'll give you wisdom. And on top of that, all of these things will be added to you as well. I'll give you wealth and honor and, and riches as well. What a great king. What a great start. But, you know, Israel was commanded, when you reach the promised land, do not intermarry with the nations around you. Do not intermingle with them in marriage. Well. Well, Solomon decided, well, I'm the king. I'm so wise. That woman looks sweet and nice. I'll have her. One, two, three, four. And on and on the number grew. You know, in the end. So he was sowing to the flesh. When you sow to the flesh, no matter how wise you are, you get into deception. No matter how wise you are. Solomon, in the end, had 700 wives, 
and 300 concubines. That's a, th that's a thousand. That's a, that's a thousand women in one man's life. And so the Bible tells us this. The Bible says towards the end of his reign, his heart was not wholly true to the Lord. He strayed. He was deceived. His, his wives, his many wives, turned, turned his heart away from the Lord. In other words, his many wives caused him to be deceived, perverted in the heart, away from the Lord. You know, we look at Solomon, what happened to him can happen to us too. I don't mean the thousand wives, I mean the deception. We say, if this can happen to the wisest man who ever lived, it can happen to me. It can happen to you, John. It can happen to you, Ari. It can happen to you, Paul. It can happen to all of us, and women too. It can happen to the women too. Here's a third consequence of sowing to the flesh. It brings barrenness. Hosea chapter 10, going down to verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. Oh, fallow ground. Israel had become fallow. You know, what's the, I went to the dictionary, and this is the definition of fallow. Fallow means, fallow ground means cultivated land allowed to lie idle during the growing season. Cultivated land allowed to lie idle during the growing season. That's what happens when we sow to the flesh, we lose an interest in growing the things of God. We allow our ground to become fallow. All it produces is thistles and thorns. That's what it does. Believers with gifts and talents lying fallow. So many in churches, not in this church, of course, Many churches, people with gifts, talents, vision, lying idle. Because why? Oh, wow, the uh, sowing to apathy. That's what we sow. We sow the seed of apathy. Um, we worship at the altar of self. And that's why all the gifts, talents have been squandered, invested in us squandered. You know, I was having coffee a few years ago with a Korean pastor, and we talked, and I said to him, I said, I really, and I, I really do, I said, I really admire the Korean church. You guys are so full of fire. There's always been revival since the, as far as I can remember, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, and revival all across that land, and Wow, the way you guys pray and the way you guys do this and that, spectacular. He stopped me and he said, Ken, no longer. The Korean church is no longer in revival. Not only that, it's no longer growing. Not only that, not only is it no longer growing, it is actually in decline. 
I was shocked. I said, and he said, you know why? For years now, the church, capital C of Korea, generally, there are, of course, elements of faith and, and zeal and so on, but the church, by and large, generally, there's a tendency, there has been infighting in the church, there has been uh, moral, ethical corruption in the church, there has been a lot of that sowing in the flesh, the pursuit of power and fame, um, the uh, materialism, the love of money. Money is the number one idol in Korea today. That nation has become rich. After the Korean War in the 19, early 1950s, the, Kore the per capita income of a South Korean was lower than the per capita income then of a person in Haiti or in Ethiopia. Today, it is amongst the top economies in the world. We have become a luxuriant vine. The more our country has prospered, the more altars, idols we erect up. So the church is in decline, so much so, they are concerned about the younger set in Korea currently. We, nine years ago, we had the privilege of uh, being in Wales. And one morning, the person who picked us up said, we have got a surprise for you. And I said, good. We, take it, we were in Swansea. And uh, we're going to take you to where Evan Roberts used to minister. Oh, wow. Evan Roberts was the mighty revivalist back in 1904 in Wales. The Welsh revival was remarkable because out of that Welsh revival in 1904, uh, it, it, it spread revival flames all over the globe. Uh, revival broke out after Wales in Pyongyang. Pyongyang became the Jerusalem of the Far East then. And then revival broke up broke out in India. Revival broke out eventually in Azusa Street in California, uh, which, which resulted in the modern-day Pentecostal outpouring. And revival broke out everywhere as a result of the revival ushered in through this instrument that God used, Evan Roberts. That revival didn't last long. We were in the chapel, and here was the song leader, the song leader of Evan Roberts had a nephew, and we met the nephew there, an elderly man uh, who was talking about the good old days. And, you know, Wales, when we were there then, amongst the UK countries, four or five nations in, in the United Kingdom, worst, Wales, worst in terms of youth pregnancies, Worst in terms of unemployment, worst in terms of uh, so many other things, social ills, one of the worst nations. And they were crying out, God, bring revival again. What happened? It was short-lived, the revival in Wales, in fighting. There were, pride was involved, and there was infighting. There were pastors who were, who were out of jealousy, primarily saying, that is not true revival. That is not. There were other good preachers who went and who said, 
G. Campbell Morgan, for example, who said, there is a genuine move of God. But there were inside uh, infighting, so the revival broke. Sowing to the flesh, there are consequences. You sow to the flesh, there are consequences. How to sow to the spirit? Well, firstly, say no to the flesh. John chapter 5, Jesus performed a healing at a pool called Bethesda. Bethesda, it's hard to pronounce, I know. But in that pool, there was a group of invalids, people who had been there for years. There was, there was a man there who had been invalid for 38 years. After Jesus healed him, Jesus saw him in the temple grounds. And Jesus said, come here, young man. See now, you are well. Go sin no more, lest something worse will come upon you. Sin no more. John 8, Jesus spoke to the woman caught in adultery. Has no one come to accuse you? Neither do I accuse you. Go, sin no more. When Jesus said, sin no more, sin no more, twice to these two people. Now, these two aren't the best in terms of characters. In fact, they were characters. They, they had some moral weakness because Jesus said to the man who was invalid, sin no more lest something worse befalls you. In other words, you got that sickness because of sin. Jesus said to these two who were not the best of moral persons, you have the strength to say no. Sin no more. You have that strength. We alibi ourselves so often. Ah, oh, we are all human after all. Yes, we that's true. We, we crumble and fall. We are men and women whose feet are made of clay. But that's true. But we shouldn't alibi ourselves unnecessarily, saying we're only human after all. Look. Paul says the same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Don't say, I'm just a common man. I'm just human. No temptation has overtaken you. Paul says, that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, your strength. You have that ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you can endure it. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, and he ended up being sold to some Ishmaelite traders, ended up in Egypt. In Egypt, he served Potiphar, the uh, high official in the, in the Egyptian court. And Potiphar had a wife, lonely and neglected. But I'm not trying to excuse her at all. I may be trying to explain the circumstances. But she looked upon Joseph, nice-looking young man, good catch. And one day she said, come to bed with me. My husband is away on a business trip. No one is at home. Come, no one will know. You know what Joseph did? He said, I'm human after all. No, he didn't. He said, 
no temptation. This is common to man. No, this is not more than I can endure. I can handle this. He said, no. Simply say no. He said, no. Day after day, she would harass him. And he said, no. Eventually, one day, he fled. Let's run away. Just say no. Just say no. Joseph could do that in, in circumstances that were far less conducive than what we enjoy today. There were four young Jewish men who were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. All four of them, each one of them had to say no when they were pressured to compromise their faith. They simply said no. Daniel chucked into the lion's den for saying no. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego chucked into the fire because they said no. To say yes would be so much easier. But say no. You can do it. Today, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We can say no. How many say amen? Amen. We can say no. Simply say no. Second thing we can do to sow to the Spirit is to say yes to the Spirit. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind is to direct your mind. Not on there, that's the flesh. Direct it to the Spirit, there. It is to be concerned with, that's to set. To be concerned with. You can't, you can't just say no and let, let your mind be a vacuum. You need to fill that vacuum with the things of the Spirit. Every morning when I wake up, I try to do this. Most mornings I do it. Sometimes I do it later in the day. I would say this, Lord, I belong to you. Have your way in me today. All of me, they belong to you. All of my members, they belong to you. Lord, I have been bought with a price. I do not belong to myself. I belong to you. So every morning when I wake up, I set my mind to the Spirit. I try. And sometimes I'm human after all. I forget. Sometimes I forget. But before too long, with my coffee at breakfast or something, I remember, Lord, I belong to you. And throughout the day, I will remind, remind myself, I belong to you. And that's to help me, to help me set my mind to the things of the Spirit. What are you going to reap this year? You reap what you sow. Most definitely. You reap the life that is contained in the seed you sow. You sow watermelon seed, you won't get a cucumber. You reap what you sow. What are you going to reap? What are you sowing this year? So I'm 
I'm asking you to ask the Lord, Lord, what am I going to sow? Some of you have been given a vision, a desire, a, a, a passion, a, a goal for something that the Lord has invested talents and gifts into you to achieve that vision. God is saying, are you sowing that seed? Or have you squandered that seed away? I ask you, are you going to sow less falsehood, less fault-finding, less greed, less pride, less self-pity? You know, prolonged grief is sowing to the flesh. I'm going to say this again. Prolonged grief, grief that is unministered un unto, if there's such a way to say it, unresolved grief is a way of sowing to the flesh because you are caught up in self and, and everything revolves around self. There's no giving out to others. So are you sowing more peace, more patience, more love, less lust, more joy, less complaining, more peace, less anxiety. Let's make this a bumper harvest of good this year in each of our lives. Amen? Amen. Can I, can I pray for us? If you just close your eyes. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I pray, Spirit of God, you would come and minister this word into our hearts so that we will bear fruit, good fruit. Help us to say yes to sowing to the Spirit. Help us to say no to sowing to the flesh. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.